Hey, Faith Family, thanks for joining into our teaching time today as we continue this series called Story of My Life. I don't know about you, but I have loved the content of this series as we are seeing how people's lives individually are changed by the story of the gospel. So this isn't just like, you know, cultural shifts or uh, big moments necessarily in the life of uh, a country or a nation. Uh, This isn't like Christianity taking over the world. It's personal changes in people's lives where they move from one way of thinking to a new way of thinking. And it brings amazing pleasure, peace, meaning and hope in their life. It begins to write a brand new story of their life. What I was before I met Christ and then how I came to faith and now how I'm living with a new attitude, a new understanding and a new hope that I never had before. And so I really love today's story that we're going to look at in Acts chapter 18. We've been following the missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, right? So we learned about his conversion. He went and trained for a number of years, kind of developed who he was as a believer, built some credibility, and now he's been traveling uh, all over the, the Mediterranean area and uh, now into to Athens, uh, spreading the gospel, telling people the story of Jesus. So we've been following him along the way, and as he's met individuals, uh, we see how their interaction uh, presents the gospel and changes people's lives. And today we're going to look at a, a unique character. Again, Not a, it's not a long story, but I think it's a unique uh, moment uh, and a unique story that we can all identify with. And so, again, how are we going to do this today as we look through this? We're going to follow the same track that we've been doing each week. We're going to look at the person in the story today. Then we're going to ask what prompted the conversation about the gospel. And then what was the actual point of conversion? And then finally, what was the product in their life or culturally of that transformation? So let's catch up the story. Last week we left Paul. He was in Athens. He had been speaking basically, you know, in the political center of that country at the time between two competing groups of thought and pointing them to something higher. And if we look back over the past few chapters, we see some repeating themes in Paul's interactions with people. Like he shows up, speaks to the synagogue, the Jews in the synagogue. They typically don't receive him well. Then he starts to speak to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people in the city. Some of them believe, but then usually both sides kind of get upset at him and they either try to run him out of the city, they beat him, uh, or they get the government to come try to arrest him. He ends up in jail at some point. This has been a repeating theme. He shows up, shares the gospel, people come to faith, another group of people get angry, and they run him out of town. So Paul's basically been on the run for a while. We've seen this over and over again. And now we're going to see a shift in what happens in Paul's life and how he approaches ministry. He's no longer going to be a man on the run. Something changes at this next stop that we're going to learn from. And so let's uh, catch the story of uh, uh, Acts chapter 18, uh, verse 1, and this is what it tells us. After this, talking about when Paul was talking to the two groups, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, uh, and he found a Jew there named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. 
And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them in work, for they were tent makers by trade. And he was reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. All right, so again, Paul had been a man on the run, kind of going, you know, preaching, getting in trouble, getting run out of town. He shows up here. First thing he does, he meets somebody. Maybe he already knew them or heard about them, Priscilla and Aquila. And he connects with them and he does something different here. The first thing we learn about Paul is that he says he basically gets a job. He said, maybe at this point, Paul is like a little tired of getting run out of town every week or a couple of weeks or month into town. And he was like, you know what? Let me just get a job for a little bit. Let me do some work. And so he connects with Priscilla and Quillo because they do the same trade. He was a tent maker. And uh, and he began to ply his trade there. But he says he still continued every Sabbath to go reason with the Jews and the Greeks in the synagogue. And we're going to learn and meet somebody uh, that he connected with while he was at <coughs> the synagogue. And so let's talk about the person or the people here and uh, and who they are and what we can learn about them. So verse 5 and 6 tell us this. When Silas and Timothy, those were companions of Paul, arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. It says he was testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent, for now I will go to the Gentiles. All right. This is a little strange, maybe, for Paul. Like he had been, you know, hope of the gospel. Every, this is for everybody. And finally, he's like, I am sick of this. I am tired of dealing with you stiff-necked people who won't listen to a thing I say. You, you revile me. You oppose me everywhere I go. You kick me out of town. I'm sick of it. I'm done with you. And so the people we're going to look at today are people what I would describe as the lost cause. Right, people that we kind of give up hope on in our life when it comes to the gospel. People were like, you know what? I've prayed for them. I've shared with them. I've invited them to everything. I've tried to show them there's a better way of living. And they just keep ridiculing me, reviling me, opposing me, talking bad about me, making fun of me. And I'm sick of it. I'm just going to say, I'm enough. I'm done. And this is what Paul was doing. These people in his mind were a lost cause. The Jews in Corinth, and and really not just in Corinth, but he was like, from now on, no more. I'm not going to the synagogues anymore. I am done. And he's probably already thinking about where's the next town I need to go to. They're probably about to come arrest me, start to push me out of this town. Where am I going to go? And when I get there, wherever the synagogue is, I'm going to head the other direction. And and these two words that are used here that that talk about what the, the Jews did to Paul, it says they opposed and reviled him. The word opposed means full resistance. Like it, it wasn't just like he hit a wall. It's like he hit a wall and then the wall started pushing back. That's what opposed means. It's not that it's just against you, but it is like against you and trying to get rid of you. This is what he had been dealing with. And then it says that they reviled him, which means they spoke evil against not just him, but what he was saying. So again, Opposed, trying to push him out. And then basically, whatever he would say, they would try to contradict. They were reviling him. You say Jesus is the Christ? No, we say he's not. They were trying to negate any influence 
he had in their life, in the synagogue, in the culture at that time. That's got to be frustrating. It's got to be frustrating. I mean, think about it. Think about how many times that when you try to share something positive into somebody's life about what God's doing in your life or or maybe you say you're praying for someone and immediately you get opposition and reviled. Like, why would you even do that? You're weak-minded, you're this. You're, you get immediate opposition to it. It's not fun. And all these people Paul was coming into contact with, this is what was happening. This is what the Jews were doing. Now, now why do you think Paul was ready to give up? I think it, he was ready to give up for many of the same reasons that we're ready to give up on people sometimes. And one is we have this idea, you know, it's just taking too long. It's taking too long. I've been talking to this person. I've been right trying every day, every week, every month, every time I see them. Right? It says Paul was going to the temple every Sabbath. He was going to the synagogue to reason with them. And every week he was being opposed and reviled. He's like, just taking too long. But what else does it say? It said that he was trying to persuade them. And so that would make me think that he's come to this mindset, look, no one seems to be listening to me anyway. No one is listening to what I'm saying. What I'm saying, we talked about last week how the gospel is a reasonable, logical way of thinking when we dig into it. And he's like, you guys aren't even listening. You're not even giving it a chance. It's taking way too long and you're not even listening. And then the third thing says that he was occupied with the word, which that means literally he was using every argument he could. He was coming up with every argument he could for the gospel. And they were like, nope, nope, no, nope. no. He just kept pushing back, opposing and reviling him. And he's like, well, if you don't believe this, let me start here. And they were like, no, we don't want to do that either. Like every door he tried to open just seemed like it was getting closed back in his face. And then probably finally, just from a practical perspective, he was probably tired of getting beaten and arrested, right? Beaten down and kicked out and feeling like he's an outsider. And sometimes when we try to communicate our faith to people and talk about our faith with other people and it takes so long and they don't even seem to be listening and any argument we use, they shut down. We just get tired of feeling emotionally beat down and, you know, even relationally ostracized and pushed out from their life, opposed and reviled, right? This is what he was doing. And I, I don't know about you, but anybody, I think anybody in this situation would get tired and think these people are a lost cause. Well, I'm grateful the story doesn't end there. It's not like Paul packed everything up and was like, see you guys later. I'm done. I'm done with my missionary journeys. I'm done with anything with you guys. I'm taking my ball and going home. He doesn't, he doesn't do that. Instead, Paul does something unique that I actually think prompts the conversation about the gospel in a unique way than he had experienced before. Right? When we look back at the other stories, like people were intrigued by his arguments. They were going to bring him in. There was somebody that was maybe deceived a little bit and saw truth. Or they were just wanting to to think, find a new philosophy to think on. This was not happening in Corinth. They were shutting down everything, and he was like, "I'm done." And so, something happens there. He doesn't leave. He does something different here. Verse seven, I think, is key to understanding what prompted the next conversation that we're going to see that's going to lead to a conversion. And verse seven says this: He says he and he, Paul, left there, talking about the synagogue. 
and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. And his house was next door to the synagogue. Isn't that kind of funny? I don't know about you, but I'd be like, if I'm done with these people, like, I don't think I'm going to go find Airbnb next to the, the synagogue. Like the people that I'm upset with. If, if, if I'm angry at my neighbors, uh, I don't want to move in next door. Like I'm going to head on down somewhere else away from them. Like you, you get that all the time. We live in these large high-rise apartments and we're, I'm so grateful we live on an amazing floor with amazing neighbors. But I know people that struggle with the people that live next door to them. And they're like, put me in for a transfer. i got to get out of here. i got to get away from these people. Or I'm not renewing my lease. I'm going in a different place just because of, I'm frustrated with who's beside me. Paul was frustrated, truly frustrated with the, the Jews and the, and the Greeks in Corinth that weren't listening to him. But instead of leaving far away, he gets an Airbnb next door to the synagogue next door like right there this guy who is a believer it said this Titius justice was a worshiper of god believer and and he moves in with this guy rents a room from this guy so so what prompted the conversation we're going to be is the choice paul made here and here here's what it is i think paul stopped just preaching the gospel and he started focusing on living the gospel next door Right, he moved in next door. He's like, all right, if you're not gonna listen to me, maybe he had his little rant and his moment of anger, but then the truth of the the hope of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, the grace and mercy of Jesus, kind of restored his soul. And he's like, you know what? I'm not gonna go too far. I'm just actually gonna go next door. And if they won't listen to me, maybe they'll see me do it. Maybe they'll see me start to live it out every day. Remember, he's making tents, he's working during the week. Instead of showing up at the synagogue on Sunday, maybe he goes to the marketplace and he lives out the gospel in front of them. Paul changed his method here. He went from preaching to working and living, and in all of those, he was demonstrating the gospel. You know what he became? He became a Corinthian. He was in Corinth. He became a Corinthian that's a follower of Christ. It's a beautiful picture. He started to live the cycle of life there. Whatever they were doing, whatever neighbors were a part of, he began to do that and live it out. He became a Corinthian who was a follower of Christ. Uh, I remember when we first moved to New York City, it was this idea, you know, I, I'm a Christian and I, you know, I, I want to maybe show people the error of the ways of how they're living, of why why you should choose the gospel over this. But I would say in many ways, when we first moved here, we were opposed and reviled. Maybe not as hard as Paul was here. We weren't chased out of town or beaten, but people were like, nah, I just don't want to hear it. I would meet people and tell them I'm a pastor, I'm a part of the church, and they were like, oh, great, that's good for all you Christians. I'm not one of them. Don't need it. Like, don't even bring it up with me. And I was like, wow. I thought I was coming to share some good news with you. And I realized very quickly at that point, I I was the outsider, right? And I had to start living the normal cycle of what it means to be somebody that lives in New York. And so we became New Yorkers who were Christians. And this is exactly what Paul does here. He became a Corinthian 
who was a Christ follower and started to demonstrate what it was to live in Corinth as a Christ follower. So how did he do that? And we don't have the whole details of every day of his life here, but we can read enough in some of the other books uh, that he wrote, the, the letters that he wrote, and some of the ways he talks about himself. And, and I think ways that we even live that I think are key here, some ideas of how we become people of our city, of our neighborhood, people in our apartment buildings that are residents that are Christ followers. How do we actually live the gospel instead of just preach the gospel? And I, I, four things came to my mind when I think about how I've learned to do this uh, over the years. And first is desire to have authentic relationships, but with no hidden agenda. Like actually, do you desire to be friends with your neighbors, your coworkers, to get to know them, to open up your life to new relationships? Out of all the craziness that's happened in COVID, all the different negatives that have happened, one of the major positives that have happened in my life is so many brand new relationships that have happened in my neighborhood, whether it's been through doing LIC relief or just being out in the neighborhood, not being able to travel, not being able to go different places in the city at time when you're you're confined. Like, I met some new people that I really like, really want an authentic relationship with them, want to grow it. But I'm doing it with no hidden agenda. The agenda is not one day to make sure they become a Christian, and if they don't, I can't be their friend anymore. Like, I'm living the gospel in front of them, yes. I'm, I'm being a person of hope, living life to its fullest, the most pleasurable, having deep meaning and purpose in my life. And I have peace that passes understanding. I'm living that, but and I want that for them. But ultimately, I, to start with, I just enjoy being their friend. I want to have an authentic relationship with no hidden agenda. And then as that relationship grows, here's what next naturally happens. We have authentic relationships with no hidden agenda that then will lead to this. They'll lead to spiritual conversations. But I want to encourage you to have those with no determined outcome in mind. We, we've been trained, if you've been a Christ follower, you grew up in church, we've been trained to present the gospel, right? So I meet somebody, they ask me a spiritual question. Why do you go to church? And like alarm bells start going off in my mind. Like, oh my gosh, okay, this is my chance. This is my one moment to try to get them across the finish line, to get them to turn their life from this to that, to, to get them to pray the sinner's prayer right now in this moment. But you know what I found to be most effective on this journey of living the gospel more so than just preaching the gospel is to be authentic as you have these authentic relationships, have these spiritual conversations, but don't expect that there has to be an outcome of salvation or conversion just because of that one conversation. It can be a step and then another step and another step. These spiritual conversations I find are the way that I am able to communicate the gospel more fully over a fuller length of time. I'm not trying to tell everything about Jesus and God in a five-minute presentation. I get to tell the, about the fullness of God and the work, full work of Christ over months instead of moments as I show the bigger picture with these spiritual conversations when I'm not expecting a determined outcome. Then as I start having these authentic relationships, spiritual conversations, then something, there's going to be opportunity for the next thing 
that I think how we live the gospel, and that's gospel interjections, where we are actually getting to be the gospel in somebody's life. But we do this with no expected decision on their part. We do it because it is the right thing to do. It is the right way to live as a follower of Christ. So I see someone in need, and you meet a need. I see a a friend hurting, you make yourself available for them. You interject into their life. You become Christ. That's what Christian means, like Christ, little Christian. You start to model the behavior of Christ to others. He saw people that were hungry, he fed them. He saw people that were sick, he healed them. He saw people that were emotionally distressed, and he interjected peace into their life. He didn't create more turmoil. He didn't create opposition. He came alongside of them, and he interjected the character of God into their life. And we're going to have opportunities to have gospel interjections. If, again, this is living the gospel, there is a time to preach the gospel, but this is living the gospel, a new method for Paul where he's building authentic relationship. He moved in, got his Airbnb, picked up a job. He's living, he's a Corinthian Christian now, building authentic relationships, having spiritual conversations, finding those right moments for gospel interactions. And then the final phase of living the gospel, I think, comes when we can offer personal invitations. But we're not doing it with a required response. Not that they're required to respond the way that we want them to, but there will come a point where I can invite people to experience what I've experienced, to step into faith, to cross a line of faith. This personal invitation is not necessarily an invitation to church. It's not what I'm talking about. Like, come with me to a service. That, that's a great invitation. But what we're talking about here is a personal invitation to try what I have found to be the most fulfilling decision I've ever made in my life. And many times people are willing to do that. And it's a beautiful step of a long journey. And sometimes people say, I'm not ready. And you know what I do then? I don't, I don't, I try not to get frustrated like Paul did and say, I'm done. I'm washing my hands of you. Your blood's on your own hands. You know, I don't say that to people. I, I try to just keep doing the other three things. Be authentic. Have the right spiritual conversations when they come up. Interject the gospel when I can. And then the next moment when I can invite them, when it seems appropriate to invite them to a chance to respond, I do it. And this is all of what prompted the conversation. When Paul stopped just preaching the gospel and instead focused on living the gospel. But what was the actual then point of conversion? Who got converted in this story? Was, it, was Paul just walking around everywhere being a nice guy, being you know, a reflection of Jesus and nobody paid him much attention? No. We see in verse 8 it actually impacted somebody's life. Somebody that he had kind of gotten frustrated with. And verse 8 of Acts 18 says this. Now Crispus, who was the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. So, we see this, this character named Crispus, who is the ruler of the synagogue, and we'll talk about what that is in a minute. And then many Corinthians, as they had heard him preach, as they were seeing him now live the gospel as a Corinthian Christian, came to believe and were baptized. So what was the point? What was the actual point of the conversion here? 
It's when a personal relationship with Paul demonstrated the personal nature of the gospel. So it was when his personal relationship with Crispus and these other Corinthians, when that personal relationship demonstrated the personal nature of the gospel. All right, so Crispus, it says, is the ruler of the synagogue. Doesn't mean he was uh, this the highest priest or anything like that. It actually means something very different. It means he was actually kind of the logistics guy. He set up every day. He cleaned up when it was over. He took out the trash. He made sure everything was ready for Sunday for the services on the weekend. He he was a hard worker. He was like the number one volunteer in the synagogue, which probably meant a couple things. One, he was there a lot, and he was pretty committed to his faith. So if he was there a lot at the synagogue, right, he's probably the, the guy who was there the most. Do you remember where Paul's living? Paul's living next door. Paul and Crispus become neighbors. Crispus gets to see Paul living it out. Not just preaching it. I'm sure he had heard Paul preach in the synagogue multiple times. And probably was like, this guy's crazy. No, it's not what I believe. But Paul then stopped just preaching and started living the gospel right next door to this guy. And what Crispus saw in Paul, in that personal nature of how the gospel had changed Paul, that he couldn't help believe at that point. He, he made a decision to live for the gospel, to live it out. What, what do you think some of the things where Paul did to demonstrate this personal nature of the gospel that Crispus and the other Corinthians would look at and go, wow, I haven't, I haven't done that. That's something I need to do. That's a step I need to take. That's a line I need to cross. I think if we look at, again, some of Paul's letters we see him describe how he was living while he was in Corinth and in other areas and in ways that we've seen as be effective in our own lives. And how, how did Paul live the gospel? Uh, you know, he, he created it by having these opportunities, by having authentic conversations and having, the, I mean, the relationships and the right spiritual conversations, the right gospel interactions and, and the right points of invitation. But But what was he doing day in and day out? I think Paul was living these three things. I think he was demonstrating these three things. I think he was demonstrating personal repentance. You know, l later on in one of Paul's letters to Timothy, he describes himself as the chief of sinners. I don't think Paul was going around every day pointing out what was wrong with everybody else. So he's making tents, delivering tents. So he's running into Crispus as they're coming home from work together and they're connecting outside before they go in their homes. I think Paul was like, man, I, I struggled today. This is where I'm struggling. I, I know I need to be doing better in this area, but I'm, I'm not. He demonstrated personal repentance. Can I tell you why that's so attractive to people? Because there is one thing that is common to every human that's ever lived, except for Jesus. We're all broken. We're all sinners. We're all fall short. We all make mistakes. And in our minds, we are more defined by our mistakes than we are by our successes. 
we're always judging ourselves and looking at ourselves and going, oh, I could do better in this and that. And we're just always judging and demeaning ourselves in many ways. And to have someone step into their life that meets you at that point of brokenness, but shows you how they got to peace through their brokenness. That's what Paul did. He was demonstrating how personal repentance and admitting your weakness, your brokenness, actually brought you to restoration. It's beautiful. He's getting to live this out. He wouldn't see Crispus coming home or leaving the synagogue as he was coming home. He'd be like, Crispus, I saw what you did today. You know, you, you need to repent of that. He'd probably be like, man, I was working today and it was just a bad day. Like, the deliveries weren't on time and I got a bad attitude. I cursed at somebody at work and I don't know. It just, things got out of hand. My, my mental place was went to a bad place today and I, the only way I got through that was reminding myself of the mercy of Jesus and I need to show that mercy to other people. Easy. Start with your brokenness and your repentance and show the beauty of restoration. But he didn't just live that way. Paul also, we see over and over again, demonstrated sacrificial living. He, he's actually writing a letter back later on to the church in Corinthians. And in 2 Corinthians, he it tells you how important this place was to him. He said, I will sp spend all that I am for your souls. Like, I will give it all. This was how he was living there. He's like, whatever I've got is yours. Emotionally, physically, my, tangibly, if I can do something for you, I will. If you need me to be an emotional rock, a stability point for you, you're going through a difficult time, I'm there. Why? Not because Paul had all the answers. Because he realized he had experienced the sacrificial nature of Christ in his life that allowed him to live sacrificially for others as well. He wasn't building a religion based around Paul and asking people to do stuff for him. He was showing them a different way, the Jesus way of living, which was to live sacrificially. And again, it's a beautiful representation and it draws people in. And we're not doing this again to, to try to manipulate people. We do it because it's the right way to live. And then the third thing he was doing, and it, it just shows this way, if he's living with repentance and sacrificial living, the third thing he was trying to do was to demonstrate unconditional love. And in the book of Philippians, he was writing to another church in, in Philippi, and, and Paul says this, he says, I long for you with the affection of Christ. What is the affection of Christ? It's the unconditional love of Christ. He's basically saying, I... I don't like not being around you. I don't like being away from you. I love to have community with you. And this is a beautiful, again, picture of how he was living the gospel in such a way that people looked at it and go, I need that. I want to have that same freedom to repent and show my brokenness. I want to, I want to find fulfillment as I sacrifice for other others instead of always feeling empty when I'm trying to get things for myself. And I want to love people in such a way that I just love being around them. And, and as we're together, it's so fulfilling. This is what the gospel is. These three things is what Jesus did for us. He showed us the pathway of repentance. He lived sacrificially and demonstrated unconditional love to draw us into a relationship. And this is what brought Christmas and 
many of the Corinthians to faith and to being baptized. Think of how different this story is than what we've been reading about Paul. Shows that he typically showed up, preached, gave great sermons, talked to crowds, you know, or these big moments happen. He's, he's in a jail and there's an earthquake and he gets to speak in that moment. Like these big kind of heavy moments. This isn't a big heavy moment. This is a long, consistent time. Life. It's not a moment. It's a life. Which brings us to what was the product of this change. And I think this product was, it happened in Paul's life. It happened in Crispus and the others live and it happened culturally there in Corinth as well. So let's look at it. Verse nine tells us this and it says this. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you or harm you for I have many in this city who are my people. And he, Paul, stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So what was the product? I think we see it in that very last verse, verse 11, when it says he stayed there a year and a half teaching and loving on these people. The product was longevity and depth and the removal of fear. So those three things, this was the product and the different, the longevity allowed for a lasting impact in Corinth. So, right, he was there a year and a half he went from being places days and weeks, maybe a month, to being somewhere 18 months. So this longevity, he's able to teach them longer, build deeper relationships, build affinity with them. And I don't know how many is, it says on many of the Corinthians, but I would imagine there's a great deal of people over those 18 months that came to faith in Christ, not because of the preaching of Paul, but because of the longevity of Paul living the gospel in their midst. But then it also brought depth because Paul also started doing something here that he had not done to this point. He started looking back a little bit. Maybe he was learning the impact of longevity here, right? Like me staying in somebody's life, staying in a city a little longer has an impact. And it doesn't mean Paul could be everywhere at once, right? But you know what he started doing here? He started writing letters back to the previous places and the previous churches he had started. In, in this area, he, he, we may, you know, he probably wrote the book of First Thessalonians. He may have written, written Galatians along this time path, during this time frame. This is what began his letter writing, which turned into the majority of the New Testament. He began to teach and add depth, not just to those in Corinth, but looking back, he's like, I need to, what's happening here? I need to make sure it's happening there as well. So he would send people, he would send letters, he would send encouragement and drive depth. And then it says finally, the thing that he experienced, the product was the removal of fear, right? This was the vision from God when he's saying, don't be afraid, keep on speaking and living, don't be silent. Uh, I'm with you, others are with you in the city, no one's, going to harm you. And I think living this way and this vision that God gave him took out the removal of fear of certain things. And I think it does in our life as well. When we realize we don't have to just preach the gospel, it's just as important to live 
the gospel in a longevity type of way and in a depth sort of way. And here's what I think it, what it, the fear it removes in our life. One, it removes the fear of rejection, right? Like I can handle rejection. That lost cause that I was thinking about early on, you know what? Let's give them another year and a half. Let's give them another five years. It's going to be in their life. I don't worry if they're rejecting me. It, it really doesn't. Their rejection of the gospel is really not a rejection of me. I'm, I still, I'm still experiencing pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope. And yes, I want them to as well. But it, it removed a little bit of that fear of rejection. Longevity does that when I don't put that pressure on it. It also then removed the fear of of response, like that people have to respond to everything I say or teach or how I'm living positively. If people disagree with me and I don't get the response I want, you know what? When you're living the gospel, you know what that gives you? Another point of conversation. Not a point of contention, but a point of conversation. Let's talk about it. Why are you not different than this? And then I think finally, it removed this fear of requirement. Like it is up to me to save these people. I can imagine Paul may have been experiencing that as he was traveling on his missionary journey. He would see so many people that had never heard about Jesus or were trapped in a different uh, thought process or under a different authority that was costing them in life. And he wanted so much for them to experience the joy of salvation and this idea of like, I gotta make it happen, gotta make it happen. And he saw so much success in other areas that as he started to have that where he was beaten and run out of town, beaten and run out of town, he's like, what am I doing wrong? It's, I don't know that he was really doing anything wrong. Just that he had to let go of the requirement of it, right? This was, God said to him, don't be afraid. Go on. Don't be silent. Keep living. But I'm with you. I, nobody's going to harm you. Just keep walking daily in the gospel. And this is, I want to challenge you with this, because I think what this gives us the ability to do is to what I call to live long in people's lives. I think you make the biggest impact for the gospel, not by giving the best sermons, not by making the best, you know, quote on Facebook that you think, oh, if somebody reads this or if I post this scripture, it will change somebody's life. I think what we're seeing here, what Paul is beginning to teach and he's even beginning to understand is the way the gospel actually spreads the most is by living long and living close to one another, right? We're, we're right in the middle of COVID, you know, we're second wave. And what are they telling us to do to stop the spread, right? Wear a mask, stay apart. Don't say anything. When you see somebody cover your mouth, don't say anything and stay six feet apart. For COVID, that's great. We want to stop the spread of COVID. For the gospel, you live long and close in somebody's life. You speak constantly. You have those authentic relationships, those spiritual conversations, those gospel interjections, and you don't do it far apart. You do it living it together in their life. It's a beautiful story of Paul learning that to spread the gospel, you don't just preach the gospel, you live the gospel. My question for you today is this. Where have you stopped living in the gospel? Maybe maybe you're preaching it. Maybe you're using different platforms to preach. Or maybe you've just gotten so sick and tired of being opposed and reviled. 
you've just stopped and you've washed your hands and you go, these people are a lost cause. They're not. They're not. Where can you live the gospel this week? Where can you live long with somebody this week to continue that journey of what it means to experience the grace, peace, hope, and forgiveness of Jesus? Maybe you've been on this journey. Maybe you've always thought you're a lost cause. Well, I've got news for you. There is no lost cause when it comes to the grace of Jesus. And if you would love to talk about that or be interested in talking about that, I would be happy to do that. My email's on the screen. If you want to reach out to me via email, I'll be happy to set up a time that we can chat about what it means to live the gospel in your life. So this week, don't worry about preaching the gospel as much as living the gospel.